Today, I'm going to do a message that I first did probably about 12 years ago. Now, you may think, oh, great, a recycled message. But the truth is, truth never gets old. See, I just sense that it's, it's a time again where God is reminding us of things we already know, but he's just wanting to say them again. And when I originally delivered this message, I did it in one Sunday, but I just felt like I was supposed to split it up. Now, I don't know if that's a sign of, of the listener or a sign of the one who's giving the message, but I felt like I was to sort of split it in half. And so the title of this message is Point of Origin. Now, it's been affectionately known as Pooh. Because we need to get the poo out. Lots of us have a lot of poo in us, and we need to get the poo out. So hopefully that'll, that'll make sense later. But, I mean, we can handle that, right? We, we can handle the word poo. We're not all offended by that, right? Because we got some poo in us, a lot of poo. And sometimes God is saying, get the poo out. So point of origin. See, I just, I just sense it's a, it's a time Especially now, I just get a feeling that, and, and, and some I know that just people are being attacked mentally. They're being attacked, attacked physically. So I know that, that the enemy is doing something, but I also know that God is up to something good. See, I believe he is preparing us for the next season, for the next stage. And so he wants to deal with some things. So this morning, I'm going to talk about your thoughts. Now, did you know that on average, the experts suggest that we have sixty to 80,000 thoughts a day? 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Now, when I looked it up because I was, I was interested. I thought, well, if we have that many thoughts, how many words are we saying? And so they said that the thoughts are 60 to 80,000, and the words are probably five to 7,000. And I'll let you guess where men and women lie on that spectrum. And all the husbands say, amen. I'm just kidding. 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Can you imagine? So my question is, how many of those thoughts do you think are your thoughts? God's thoughts or the enemy's thoughts? See, how often do we take a moment to really pay attention to the thoughts we have? Do we really make the time and the effort to be aware of what we're thinking? Now, I know we're all thinking, but my question is, do we actually take a moment to stop and break down what's flying around in our heads? See, I will barely be able to scratch the surface of our mind and, and, and what happens to us over the next two weeks. But hopefully, it'll be a place that we can position ourselves from so we can be at a place of strength. Amen? See, we have no trouble when we're buying a piece of furniture asking, where does that piece originate from? Where does this equipment come from? Where does this food come from? We may even ask, what's in this product? Or what are the ingredients in this recipe? But do we ever dare to question, where did that thought come from? See, where did that thought come from? See, we've lived with these thoughts for so long that now it would seem unreasonable to question, why did I think that way? See, that's just the way I am. Well, I've always thought like that. That's just who I am. But my question is, why do you think that way? See, we can even have some very good seeming thoughts, but be totally wrong. See, we need to locate the point of origin because thoughts matter. Thoughts matter. What we think, we speak. What we think, we become. If we think a thing long enough, we become what we think and we live what we think. It's just, it naturally comes out of us. What we think upon, what we eat upon, what we think upon comes out of us. See, I don't like giving the devil any airtime because really he's not that interesting to me. But there is a very real battle going on 
And it's always being waged against you and I. The devil doesn't play fair. Let me just tell it to you. He doesn't play fair. Okay? This message isn't to be devil heavy. It's not to, to get you in a place of fear. I'm just telling you who our enemy is so you can have a lookout for what he's up to. Amen? See, the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes, or maybe you've heard devices. See, I can, I can think about over the course of my life. The thoughts that I had growing up were some of the most unkind thoughts I think anyone could ever have. The devil would always tell me what I was doing wrong. I didn't need anyone else to tell me that I was doing anything wrong. I already knew what I was doing wrong. See, I had that part down. I was always telling me that I was stupid, that I would never amount to anything, that I would never accomplish anything. I lived most of my life feeling like I was in the way. Like, I always questioned if people really liked me. I had a lot of self-hatred going on. I was my worst critic. I didn't know that I could change the way I think. See, I knew that my sin was there, but I didn't realize that sin most often results from our thoughts. We think a thing and we act upon a thing. It's just how it is. But I didn't realize that I could change the way I thought. See, most of my life, I just lived being defeated, beat down, pressed down, thinking that I would barely make it. I just existed. I didn't live. Not until I moved here and, and came to this church did I actually hear the truth and they hear the gospel that there's another way. See, I grew up in church never hearing that I could be set free of what I thought. I just thought that's the way, that, that's the way I live. I heard of sin. I knew what sin looked like, but I didn't know that I could take authority over my own thoughts and actually cast them down. See, the enemy wants to keep you in a place of low living, low expectations, See, if he can keep you wrapped up in thoughts that aren't true, he knows you will never reach the full potential of Christ in you. See, see to it that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. See to it that no advantage is taken of you and given to your enemy, the devil. See, advantage is an upper hand. The word used there actually means to show an inordinate desire, especially lusting for what belongs to someone else. See, the enemy knows what's yours, and he wants to take it. See, the enemy understands Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he wants to rob you of that. He just wants to take that from you. See, he wants what's not his. So how do we give him, the devil, an advantage? By allowing our thoughts free reign that don't line up with the word of God. And when we allow those thoughts to, to go unchecked, it corrupts us. See, the word schemes there, maybe, you, you, like I said, you heard it as devices. Here's what that means. To have something in mind for a specific purpose. The Bible says God has many thoughts of you, but so does your enemy. See, the devil has thoughts about you, and his goal is that you get to agree with his thoughts concerning God concerning you and concerning others. See, he wants the advantage so that his purposes are accomplished in our life. See, he doesn't want to see God's purposes fulfilled. He wants to have his purposes fulfilled, and that is to corrupt us in every way. See, but if we can begin to discern the origin of our thoughts, and when we pay attention to the fruit of the thought, we can realize 
where that thought is coming from. So this week, I just want to look at the accuser. And then next week, we're going to finish off with the advocate. So if you, if you leave today thinking this feels half done, it is. And the rest will come next week. So let's just take a look at the accuser. Well, let's just look at his nature so we can get a picture of how he is and how he likes to live his life. Revelation 12.10. Everybody lock the doors. He said Revelation 12.10. Oh, no. Revelation 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. For he who accuses them before our God day and night. See, earlier when we sang day and night, night and day, let incense arise. This is already in my notes, and I thought, wow, the devil always has a counterfeit for what, for what God has already purposed. See, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. But the enemy is standing before God, accusing us day and night, night and day. He never grows weary of accusing us before the Lord. So there's a couple things I want to look at in the Scripture just so we're clear. It says the word brethren. Now, I know brethren's an old school word. If people come up to me and they say, Brother Allen, I start looking for someone else. Just that lingo, I, I, it was, was back in my uh, Pentecostal days, and now I've left those behind me. I'm just kidding. So, but the word brethren, who is that? Who is that speaking of? Well, it's talking about all of us, those in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, if we know that it's talking about us, then we ought to know what we're being accused of or who's doing the accusing. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I dare you to accuse me of something I didn't do. And I'm going to hunt you down. Look, maybe it's the, the unregenerated part of me and God's still working on me, but there is nothing I can stand more. Say less? I don't know what the word is. I can't stand it. When someone, I hear someone has said something that I, they, that I supposedly did or said, my blood boils. See, so I don't know about you, but when I hear that I'm being accused of something, I want to know why. I want to know why, I want to know who, and I'm coming after them. So what am I being accused of? Well, let's see. Let's see who this accuser is. I think we all know, but the, the word accuser there is borrowed from a legal term. See, it means a prosecutor. Someone who stands in court presenting their case. See, a prosecutor's sole job is to present enough convincing evidence that it will swing the court to render a guilty verdict against the one being accused. See, his sole motivation against you is proving your guilt before God. And he wants to prove it to you. He wants to tell you you're guilty. See, this was clearly the easiest and most descriptive way to express the idea of this accuser. I mean, you can all picture it. You're in the courtroom. You're up, you're up in the, the, the witness the box, and, you're, you're, and, you're, and this, this prosecutor is grilling how you've done this and you've done that. And See, he's trying to, to present a very good argument that he wants to convince the judge that you are guilty of your crime. So this nemesis we know is the devil. See, in fact, when Scripture, when you read the word devil or Satan, it actually means adversary or accuser. See, his name is his nature. His nature is his name. See, he's so much of an accuser 
that he is called the accuser. See, but the Bible doesn't just stop there to express how much he loves to accuse. He loves to accuse. See, this is no hobby for him. This is no pastime for him. This isn't what he does on his days off. No, the Bible says day and night, night and day, he goes before the Lord trying to accuse us of wrongdoing. See, he tirelessly accuses before the Lord. I don't know if you remember, but the devil was sort of the original when it comes to accusing. We know from Scripture that he was once an angel in heaven. His name was Lucifer. See, before the time of Adam and Eve, he was the highest order of angels. The Bible describes him as beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that Scripture says his heart was proud because of his beauty. But he had a problem. See, he wanted to be God. So he rose up against God, deciding in his heart that he deserved a share And what's interesting to me is that he convinced, he's so good at accusing, he convinced a third of the angels to go with him. He swayed that many angels to believe him. So he was cast out of heaven. A a third of the angels were convinced that what he said was true, above what God said. I'm going to go over this little interaction between God and and Satan in Job chapter 1. I know most people probably don't read Job. I get it. It's a tough one. But I promise it's not that bad. I'm going to show you the true character and nature of God and the enemy. Job 1, 8 through 11 says this. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. He's like, come on, God, you've, you've protected him on every side. You've blessed him. How could he not follow you? But then the enemy says, but reach out your hand now and touch all that he has. He will certainly curse you to your face. But I want us to look at the context of that. So let's back up one verse, Job 1.7. Job 1.7 says this. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. See, now God fully well knew where Satan had been. But just like Satan, how he always does, he answers the question correctly, but not truthfully. See, he'll always give you a little bit of correct, but he negates to give you the truth. See, he gives you just enough that it feels right, but it's not the truth. See, he says, I've been taking a tour of the earth, but omits his real reason he was there. So God reveals, I know where you've been. But he poses the question already knowing the answer. The next verse says, have you considered my servant Job? Now let's stop there. Have you considered my servant Job? Maybe this was just me growing up, but when I read that, I always thought of it as God is dangling Job before him. Have you seen my servant, Job? I think you could have a real good time with him. See, that's what our minds think. We think, 
Was God playing with Job? Was he offering him as a, as, as a sacrificial lamb? Was he like, let's have a little game today. Let's, let's play a little game. You take Job. I'll see what happens. We'll see. What... See, that's what our minds think because we actually think God's character and nature oftentimes is that he is mad. He's against us. He has nothing good to say. But the truth is what this means there is that the word considered actually means that to be set against. See, God was saying, Satan, have you set your heart against my servant Job? See, that's the character of God. Have you been roaming around looking at Job? Are you trying to set up a case against him? Is that what you've been doing? See, it's actually a military term. It's used of a general who is studying a city before its attack in order that he might develop his strategy whereby he can destroy the city. So this military guy would watch as they opened the gates, the method of which they opened the gates, which gates they would open, how long it would stay open. See, that's the usage here. It's someone waiting to attack a city so they can take over. That's how the enemy does. See, he plots his, 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 his scheme. He thinks about it. He sees what you're doing. He thinks, how can I get in there the, 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 the best way? How can I, what can I say to trip him up? But let's look at God's response. See, this is what God says over us. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And we know that Satan answers him again, well, does he serve you for free? Like, the reason he serves you, God, is because you've done all these things. You've protected him. You've blessed him. See, we can start to see the consistency in the spirit of the adversary. It's a spirit of false accusation, always telling you what's wrong, what, what you're not doing right, why you're serving God and you're not spiritual enough, you're not faithful enough. See, he's an accuser, but he also bears a false witness. See, the devil wants to accuse you and discredit you at all costs. He's got nothing to lose. See, if he can convince you that what God says is untrue, then he knows he's robbing you of the life that God intends for you and I to live in continuously continuously. See, he, the accuser, sets against us. His goal is to convince as many as will listen to him and agree with what? His testimony. And his testimony never changes. Now, his words may change over us because he's specific. See, when the Bible says specific things in mind, he knows what specifically will trip you up. That's why he uses it over and over and over again. See, his words may change, but his tactics that he uses might be different, but the testimony and the words are the same. His goal is that God is not enough for you. See, ever since the day he convinced Eve and Adam that God was withholding something, he has not stopped spreading his form of the gospel. It's not a good gospel, but it's the gospel of Satan. He likes to spread his lies. See, he knew fully well that by what he was doing, he was bearing a false witness against God. For his false witness, judgment came swiftly. Scripture says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. See, we think hell was created for us. The Bible clearly says hell was created for the devil and his angels. See, if there was ever a case for a false witness, I would say this is the original false witness. See, in the Garden of Eden, Satan, through the serpent, accused God to Adam and Eve of withholding something. See, it's kind of ironic, the, the very thing that he wanted to be like God was the very thing he told Eve that God was withholding from them. See, Satan always does two things. He falsely accuses God, 
He establishes a witness against him. But in the end, it is Adam and Eve who bear a false witness against God because they came into agreement and alignment with the lie of the enemy. I just want you to think about this concerning the word testimony. See, there's a principle and a commandment in the Old Testament that says this, out of the mouth of two or more witnesses shall a thing be established. See, I find it very interesting to the fact that the devil presented his false accusation to Eve and Adam, but it took both of them to eat the fruit, and then the Bible says their eyes were opened. See, it's establishing the principle of where two or more are in agreement. See, out of the mouth of Adam and Eve, both literally and figuratively, they testified against God. And since out of the mouth of two or more witnesses shall a thing be established, sin was established on the earth. See, it corrupted the heart of man. So he's a false accuser, and he's a false witness. His job is to falsely accuse so that we come into agreement, then we bear a false witness. See, he takes his job very seriously. In Matthew 16, 21 through 23, we see an exchange between Jesus and Peter. And I've titled this little section about the accuser wants you to take the bait. So verse 21 says this, From the time Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised up on the third day. And yet Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. Now, I don't know too many people today that would, that would survive in Jesus' ministry. If he turned around and said to you, get behind me, Satan, we would have our feelings hurt. We would be crushed. We would run out. But see, Jesus doesn't mince words here. He knows the origin of those words because it was in opposition to what God had willed for Jesus to do. So he calls him out, get behind me, you adversary, because you're being an adversary to the will and purposes and plan of God. See, I think probably a lot of people, if, if, if Jesus were on the earth today and they would have said that, we'd have hit the unfollow button really quick. We'd have unfriended Jesus on the spot. Your words are too harsh. See, the word stumbling block was, was a term used to describe the trigger of a trap. It was the movable part of the trap, much like a stick, that the bait was set upon, and when it was hit by the animal, it would knock the stick over, and the trap that was set above would fall and capture the animal. See, the stumbling block was to set a trigger for the trap. The enemy wants to ensnare you in his thoughts. It's all about the source or the point of origin. See, I don't know the thoughts that the enemy has filled your head with. I know that in my life, there are thoughts that, that weighed heavy on me, but I do know that we don't have to stay in a place of agreeing with his thoughts. See, God makes a way where we can overcome what the enemy wants to put on us. 
See, there's an onslaught of thoughts that come at us all the time. You're not worthy of his presence. You're not worthy of his love. You're not worthy of this. You'll never be set free. You'll never be healed. You'll never get out of this, this rut. You will never see the glory of God. Over this church, he will say, you will never see revival. You will never see healings. See, he says all these things because he knows the potential that is on the inside of us. See, but we just can't accept that. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. God's purposes and his plans are for you and not against you. He wants to see you succeed more than you ever could think of it. But the enemy has a plan and he wants to disrupt the the progress that we're supposed to make in God. See, he wants his purposes to be done in us, not God's. And he never tires from trying to convince God and us that we'll never make it. We'll We'll never see a breakthrough. We'll never overcome will always be sick. I'll always feel this way. This relationship will never get better. See, the enemy wants to fill you with so many doubts that we just don't have the strength to stand. But God has made a way for us to overcome. See, I ask you today, what is the point of origin and the thoughts you're having? Now, this isn't a thought like, I want to go have a cheeseburger after church. Not that kind of thought. It's those thoughts that weigh you down. It's those thoughts that fill you, make you feel heavy. It's those thoughts that make you feel burdened. See, it's, it's no surprise to me that this, this weekend is, is Labor Day weekend. And see, on Labor Day weekend, most of us get a day off. But what it is, is it's honoring the work and the labor that the, the Americans have done over the years. But see, what's interesting to me is the fact that I just feel like the Lord is saying, I don't want you laboring anymore. See, the enemy wants you to labor under his rules. And I'm not saying you don't have to do anything, but you don't labor under what God has because his way brings you into to freedom. His way br- breaks you out of patterns. And see, I just know that, that the Lord is wanting us to labor no more under the heaviness of the enemy and his thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 10, says this, Taking captive every thought. Taking captive every thought. See, what this actually means, the word captive means to capture by means of making a thought a prisoner of war. you got to make those thoughts a prisoner. So you got to cast those thoughts down. I don't know what the enemy is saying to you, but I know a lot of it, we think it's just us. We've, we've, that voice is so familiar, we don't even ascribe it to the enemy anymore. But I'm telling you, hear the word that he's speaking to you and cast down those thoughts that are trying to raise itself above the word of God we got to make the enemy's thoughts a prisoner of war. We have to capture them. We've got to push them down. Just like in the, in the earlier scripture we read in Revelations where the enemy was cast down, we can throw the enemy down from our thoughts too. Stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. God, I thank you that you're just undoing a lifetime of thoughts that have attacked us, that have kept us pressed down, God, I thank you that we just submit every thought to you. God, we will take the time. We will take this opportunity to listen to what you have to say, God. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are beginning a work in us that will, that will just propel us into the next season, God, that you're just wanting to get rid of things that weigh us down. And so I thank you, Lord, that every thought that is not of you, that the enemy and the accuser is speaking to us, God, we just by force take down, God. We expose every lie in Jesus' name. And what we, we break agreement with every lie of the enemy that says that, that you are against us. God, every lie of the enemy that says we will not overcome, every 
Every lie that says we will, we will not see the, your goodness, every lie that says we will, we will not be healed, every lie that says we will not, not succeed, God, we just command every lie of the enemy to be brought down in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, God, that we take captive every thought that's not of you. God, we just surrender our thought life to you, God. We thank you, Lord, that, that our thought life, God, will, will produce good fruit in us, God. God, we just thank you, Lord, that good fruit shall be produced in our thought life, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are speaking a new thing to us, God, and we just listen to your voice. God, we thank you, Lord. We just silence the voice of the accuser who is trying to build a case against us. We just tell the enemy, you're a liar, and you have no right to speak to my mind. So, God, we thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to us. You're bringing us to a new place of freedom. And, God, we thank you, Lord, that we will not labor under the work of the enemy, God, but we will produce good fruit in you, God. So we bless you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.